This episode is brought to you by Circle, the issuer of USDC, which hopefully, as you all know, is the preferred stablecoin of digital natives and crypto natives with over 1.5 million holders globally. You'll hear more about USDC later in the show. All right, everyone, we have, uh, I think, the most requested episode that we've had in, what, maybe six, seven, eight months here, which is uh, basically when Santi and I talk about things happening on DeFi, we tend to talk about things happening on Ethereum, right? Compound, Aave, uh, Maker, Uniswap, kind of these like what you think of as like ETH protocols. Uh, A lot of folks have requested that we do a big Cosmos episode. We put out a call to action saying, who should we have to do a Cosmos episode? We got back a lot of responses. Jack and Zaki were the overwhelming response uh, and the favorite to represent the Cosmos crowd. So Jack and uh, Zaki, welcome, uh, welcome to Empire, guys. Yeah, so I mean, it's been us. a huge, uh, it's a huge pleasure. It's, uh, I've been, uh, I've known Santi for a long time, um, and uh, it is really exciting to to be here. I've also been a fan, you know, just keeping up with everything going on in DeFi. Um, yeah, DeFi, I mean, to me, like, there are many applications of, of blockchains, but DeFi is my favorite, and it is the thing that I love and understand the most. So, yeah, hmm. whatever chain it's on, I, I like it the best. It's the most fun of them. <laughs> Indeed. I'm excited to talk about it. I think it's really important. I was spending a lot of time thinking about this episode, thinking about where to start. And I think it's actually important to start with the history and the backstory of Cosmos, which we rarely do. Um, But I think it's important because Cosmos, when I think about it, is like this interesting case of it's like been talked about since kind of 2015, 2016, really 2017. The token hit the scene in 2019. It's this interesting beast of like, it's rare that something in crypto hasn't failed, but hasn't like really super thrived, I would say. It's kind of just yep. like done well over the last several years. And so maybe Saki, if I could ask you to take us back to like that 2015 conference in Mountain View, ideas are getting talked about, proof of stake delegation, yeah. like take us back to the early Cosmos days. Okay. So I like, I, I want, I want you guys to imagine the world of 2015 in crypto. Um, like basically no one cared is like the clo- is the biggest answer. Like all of like to the extent that anyone cared, like you could sell blockchains to banks. Like it was just like, you were just like engaged in this bizarre innovation theater. And I had a startup company called Skewchain and we were doing a lot of that innovation theory. Skewchain's still around, but, uh, and like, Actually, you know, some of the enterprise blockchain stuff is still like alive from that era, but um, the, uh, you know, and then, so what there was is there was this thing, there was this, this email list, it's called the Crypto Economic Research Group Forum. Uh, it was a Google group, uh, you know, really, really ancient technology, a, a Google group, the children, like nobody, this is like discord for like very old men right? Like this is your world, right? And it was actually quite like, it was an invite only Google group. Um, but like Vitalik was on it. Um, you know, like a lot of the, like you know, a lot of CEOs of like early crypto companies were on it. We were running this thing called blockchain university where we were inviting people to like come to our office on the weekend and like learn about blockchains. It was this, it was a crazy world. Um, just sort of so unimaginable. And like literally you could fit like everyone who was interested in thinking about public blockchains, like in one room of like 75 people. <laughs> so we had this idea, we came up with this idea, um, Lai Ding from, who was one of the co-founders of Definity at the end of the day, um, had this idea of why don't we have the mailing list like come, 
Like, why don't we invite the mailing list to like come visit us in person? Like, we're gonna get the mailing list together. Um, so that's what we did. And uh, Jay wasn't on the mailing list, but like he was a friend of mine. Um, and like we'd been talking about Tanner, and I'm like, this Jay guy has like really cool ideas about proof of stake. Like, why don't I put him in the same room with all these like, you know, what were what were the leading lights of blockchain back then? Um, and so the whole thing is on, on YouTube. You, you could still watch it. There's like a Twitter account also that tweeted it out. Uh, I can get, I can get links for your show notes. Um, so, but like this, so, you know, got all this stuff together. So Vlad and Vitalik were already friends, you know, and Vlad was off. Vlad was being, Vlad was always Vlad. Um, and Vlad brought one of his friends from college to this event, Ethan Buckman. Um, and like, I, if you, like I said, I think, if someone were to write a comprehensive history of modern of the history of blockchain, that conference ends up being like the most important thing that ever happened. Like, I don't think Vitalik ever really uh, took proof of stake seriously until he saw Jay's Tenderman presentation. Um, like that was, I think that really got the, and like, I remember talking to him afterwards, you know, it really got the wheels spinning on like, Oh, this can like really be a thing. Like there's this thing other than Nakamoto proof of stake. Like, definitely got his on his the wheels turning um and so but also that then like ethan who had been um working on like a build a version of ethereum for the banks called eris um back in the day was like hey this tendermint thing is really cool maybe i can start contributing to it with jay um so they hit it off um and that was that was the world of 2015 so you know it is probably best understood that um you know, Cosmos is not an Ethereum killer. It is a pure project with Ethereum. It has coexisted. It is as old as Ethereum. Um, it is. It comes from like very much, uh, uh, and it just sort of, you know, we we decided to prioritize. Like Jay really wanted to make proof of stake like a thing that people would take seriously. It was like really his mission, and like that meant he wanted like academics, professors. Like the people at IBM research, like all of these people, he wanted them, he wanted to convince every single, like the smartest people in consensus, the most legit people in consensus that like this could be a real thing. Um, so, you know, Tendermint journey goes on. Um, 2016, uh, so they try and sell Tendermint to banks in 2015, fail miserably, thank God. Um, and 2016, Jay and Ethan are like, we want to do a public chain. Um, I have some ideas. I, my, my, my version of the history, you know, I, everybody has their own, everybody else has their own version. My version of the history was, I had this idea that I'd been bouncing around, which was take the, like Mark Miller and Dean's work from the nineties. They have this crazy website called eWrites.org. They were proposing the system. I got real frustrated with like Vlad and Vitalik's like sharding ideas. I was just like, this is never going to work. Turns out, you know, seven years later, they agree with me. Um, that uh, that like I, at that time I thought it was never going to work, so I was like, let's try and figure something else out. Mark Miller had this website, eWrites.org. It had this whole protocol for like like running smart contracts just on ordinary servers, no blockchain, where like the where the chains went, so you didn't have to solve data availability. So then I was like, why don't we do this? But like instead of having it be servers, make them Tendermint. Uh, explain this idea to Jay and Ethan. Uh, Ethan goes off and run, writes the Cosmos white paper. Um, it was called Nuclear back then. Uh, Jay immediately shares it with Gavin and uh, uh, and Rob, and that turns into Polkadot. 
Um, and here we Wasn't are. Wasn't it super tanker? Was it super, super tanker? Was the nuclear? idea before nuclear, which was the not not the Mark Miller idea, the idea that's like sort of like Celestia is now. Saki, what what was the issue that so you said Vitalik like wasn't taking proof of stake seriously until Jay brought this presentation about Tendermint uh, yeah. to, to the table? What was the problem that Jay was trying to solve here? There was this problem with slashing, right? Which was so like you do the bad thing. So like everybody only thought in blockchains, everybody was only thinking Nakamoto consensus, Nakamoto proof of stake, Nakamoto. Uh, uh, but you have this problem in proof of stake, which was, okay, so like you do the, you like equivocate here, you get slashed up here now, but like you make a fork before you get slashed and like you don't see the slashing on the fork, right? And this is just like the never ending problem of everyone's proof of stake algorithms back then. It was like, how do you actually, and then Jay was like, what if you have finality? What if you just actually like don't have a fork what if you resolve the forks and you sh and you like you include the slash in consensus and everyone agrees that you got slashed and now you don't have the, this problem anymore and now slashing and proof of stake compose which was like, slashing was vitalik's idea he had the slasher blog post out in 2014 but didn't really have a solution to this and he had like some crazy complicated mechanism that he was proposing in the slasher paper and jay was like no, but like, what if we just have like two F plus one agreement and consensus and then you have finality and then slashing just works. And he was right. Uh, and that, that like, I think really changed Vitalik's perspective on the whole thing. But this is like my reconstruction of like eight years ago. It feels like, um, it feels like a lot of the ideas that are kind of like what I would call mainstream ETH today, proof of stake, like honestly, like very almost what feel basic, like slashing and delegation and like liquid staking now is like very hot. It feels like a lot of these things are like Cosmos ideas from eight yes. years ago that I think a lot of people don't realize that Cosmos folks kind of came up with because maybe Cosmos didn't like propagate the narrative well enough or something. But is that is it, we've always right been terrible at that? We're trying to fix that now. <laughs> I mean, when when I first found Ethereum, it was before I was working in blockchain. I was working kind of in traditional cloud technology, and I was building developer tools at the time. And I remember installing solidity and compiling my first contract and uploading it and my first thought was this is a terrible developer experience no one's going to use this and i think that you know th that's why we went down that app th like that's a huge part of the reason why i ended up finding cosmos so i was like oh this app chain thesis makes a lot more sense to me from kind of a traditional scaling perspective and like we should go down this route but what i don't think a lot of the people who are in cosmos anticipated is how much appetite there was for this like public smart contracting environment and what would sort of come out of that. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of these ideas about the fundamental consensus stuff, but about the application environment, like we've been in a different world for a while. Hmm. I want to fast forward. Okay. So like you've got the like very early days, you've got this Mountain View conference. Cosmos brings a lot of the big ideas to the table. Fast forward, maybe three, four, five years, you guys introduce Adam in maybe 2019. Yep. Uh, my understanding, and again, this is like total outsider view, is that a lot of the fighting and like the split within Cosmos that like I remember, I think it was early 2020. It was like Jay stepping down. There's infighting. And I was like, oh, this thing's dead. Like this thing's gone. Uh, that was due to my understanding is like something about the hub and something about Adam. So can you maybe fast forward us to like 2019, 2020? I don't, I, I don't know that that was like 
you know, the the core narrative is that there was always a lot of tension. Like Jay was never an easy guy to work with, and there was always a lot of tension. Um, you know, I felt like I was holding project together with my bare hands, and maybe Jack can agree that I was holding project <laughs> together with my, with my bare hands. <laughs> right? Like, you know, it's like Ethan was just like constantly like ready to quit. Uh, 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 like half the, half the, like most, a lot of the engineering teams also, it was like basically the shared vision that we, like this like belief among people like Chris goes and Sonny and Jack and Ethan that like we were building the correct thing and that it was all, and we, you know, that it was, there's so many names that I could put who just like put so much faith, like the incentive alignment was completely screwed up. Like all kinds of problems, there were, but like everybody really believed we were building the right thing for the long run, um, and so everybody was real. Everyone really put together, and I'm like, yeah, but in, and I did did feel like I was holding the thing with, together with my bare hands, and so in, you know, part of our 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 vision, like the part of the reality of it was, on one hand, the thing that kept everyone together though before launch was that if we didn't launch, like nothing would ever exist, right? If we didn't actually finish Tendermint, if we didn't actually finish, get proof of stake out there, like none of the other stuff that we all were imagining that was started to come into existence would exist. So it like really kept everyone in this pressure cooker, but it was like really hard. Like, I mean, we took, like, we took Jay and Ethan to like a cabin in Colorado for like a week and like stuck them with like basically an executive coach trying to just keep the thing alive for like another couple of months. Um, like we were really, it was a really hard time, but the, one of the things that like really changed the game in 2019, 2020 was once Cosmos was alive and like Binance adopted the Cosmos SDK, Adam got listed everywhere. Um, we didn't need Tendermint, the company anymore to keep the project alive. I mean, that was the honest truth. Um, and so when Jay decided to like become more difficult to work with as sometimes he does. Um, you know, Jack and I quit. The engineering team spun out into the new organization working for the foundation. You know, the kinds of, you know, the kind of purple pill style drama that happened in Maker basically happened in Cosmos. And in, in some ways, Maker survived, just like Maker survived, we survived. Um, but a lot of it was just the certainty of once we had gotten, kind of gotten the technology where we needed, we didn't need to all be trapped and we, we didn't, you know, necessarily have to keep working with Jay and, uh, you know, but that is the test of yeah. like whether or not you yeah. build something actually decentralized. Can it like, can it survive that? Uh, you know, can you, can you, can you burn the bridges and, and, and jump? I remember talking to you in, in San Francisco, uh, at right around that time. Cause I was actually looking at investing in the tournament round, which paradigm ended up leading. And that was, I think one of the first investments paradigm did. Um, yeah. I, th I think one of the things that is really interesting when I first discovered um, Cosmos was this idea that Tendermint and has been pretty battle tested in like the credit around proof of stake and having a different consensus engine other than Nakamoto consensus is pretty battle tested. And most people are really surprised. And look, we're a day out of the merge, which has been in the works for such a long time. Yeah. But um, I think most people don't really appreciate Tendermint is a consensus engine. It's pretty battle tested, like Byzantine fault tolerant kind of system, and um, and that other projects have adopted that, like you alluded to, like Binance and Facebook was looking at using it uh, for their yep. you know Novi or Libra and Terra, you know, and so Facebook maybe you could spend liked it so yeah. much they rewrote it in Rust, right. and, and made it pipelined, 
it's like a yeah <laughs> yeah and so what i'm trying to get at is there's there's sort of i think most people would be surprised to learn around this idea the proof of stake is not like something new that's coming online tomorrow of course it gets more validity um ethereum having migrated to it and we'll see how it works out uh, but i'm curious if you could give lis listeners more appreciation for that type of consensus it you know you guys really kind of worked on over the last couple of years and how battle tested it has been um because it is very timely now that we're you know a day out uh from the merge yeah you want to talk about the early days of the tenderman test nuts jack yeah, you know, we've done so many of these networks at this point, and it, there was this strong culture of test nets, and you see a lot of people doing incentivized test nets now, and that's what Zucky and I did with Game of Stakes first, and then Game of Zones for IBC. Um, but Solana did one, Near did one, all of the major L1s kind of did it, and that was a result of our work. Um, you know, I think one of the also the whole validator community around Ethereum and Lido that gets so much press, like those people were all Cosmos Genesis validators. That's a, <laughs> I'll, I'll put a pause there because I was, uh, I think we were the largest investor, one of the largest investors in Lido was a Parify because I knew those guys back in the day running <laughs> yeah. validators and running like these, these game of stakes that you're talking about. Yeah. Those guys had a ton of experience. And so when I looked at them, I'm like, yeah, these guys are super battle tested. They were like the number I mean, one or two validator out there. It was crazy. We were all figuring it out together in this like weird set of riot chat rooms. There was this like OG riot chat room that's like completely lost to history at this point. I'm bison, sure the Bison Trails founders met each other in that chat room. Yeah, like <laughs> so many in, business forms. You know, I think one of the cool things about proof of stake is is it when you stand these networks up, it's like a barn raising. It takes sometimes a hundred different people all collaborating to do that. And that's what created this kind of strong validator community that's gone out and seeded all of these other proof of stake networks like Polkadot and Near and E2 as well. Um, but it, it was that huge series of test nets and then going and launching Cosmos Chain after Cosmos Chain where we kind of built that capability. Um, and a lot of it is around the developer ease of use and the operator ease of use that we built into the software to help run these things. And uh, yeah, man, that was that was such a fun <laughs> that was such fun work. <laughs> I wanna I wanna push us forward into like the the basically the app chain thesis, the the cosmos thesis, and like why you guys are here and like why this is so important to talk about. What maybe Jack? Can I pick on you for this one? And then Zachy, we'll see uh, if you if you agree with Zachy. Please. Like, what is the what is the cosmos thesis around app chains are better? Oh, build better apps uh, to build better apps on your own chain. You do it on your own chain instead of on this like monolithic chain like Ethereum. But can you say it much more elegantly than I ever could? I, I look at this from a computing history of computing standpoint. I think about blockchains a lot like computers. A single smart contracting blockchain is a lot like a supercomputer. It's single threaded. You know, you could make these things multi-threaded and that's a whole other discussion and things people like Sui and Aptos are working on that. But if you have a single threaded computer, there's only so fast you can make that thread spin. And, you know, you can either make the computer a lot bigger or you can make a bunch of different computers and network them. And if we look at the history of computing all the way up through the early 80s, people thought, you know, maybe we're going to have all these supercomputers and then everyone have a terminal that connects to it and do your processing there. And it wasn't really fully until Google developed MapReduce in the early 2000s when they were networking together tens of thousands of computers to build compute clusters that were 
thousands of times more capable than the largest supercomputers when it became obvious that computer networking was the way forward. And I think that blockchains are this way too. If you look at it from a fundamental perspective, trying to shove all of the apps on the world on one single threaded computer, that's going to fail. You know, it's going to be really expensive. Maybe there's use cases for it and it's really cool. And like, I think that, you know, the synchronous composability stuff around things like flash loans could have never developed outside of that. Uh, And there's a lot of kind of dirty topics there, but Fundamentally, I think what the app chain thesis is, in order to scale blockchains to meet the demands of seven to eight billion people in the world, there's going to need to be a lot of them, and they're going to need to talk to each other. And if that's the world that you're building for, what you end up building looks a lot more like IBC. It looks like a software development kit for organizations, companies, apps to build their own blockchains. And I think that's kind of the fundamental app thesis as I see it. So maybe we can spend a minute there because I think a critic here might say, wait a minute, I understand that not every application needs to have the exact same level of security. A game is different than a DeFi application, depends on what you're transacting and the value that's being exchanged. But walk us through from a project perspective, you know, you're, you're using the shared security model. And I want people to really understand that because I don't think it's a concept that is kind of like it could be intuitive, but it could be difficult to like wrap your head around that. So how does it actually work? This shared security, um, like system, uh, if you're like a new developer, you want to kind of come to Cosmos and build there, maybe just spend a moment walking us through how that would work. So are we talking about shared security on the Cosmos hub? Are we talking about shared security in a system like Polkadot? Are we talking about shared security in in a system like Celestia? Let's pick the Cosmos hub. Okay. Um, so just to be clear, most Cosmos chains now have their own validator sets. And, mm-hmm. you know, yes, I do agree with you. Not every application is going to need its own validator set. I would argue, however, that an application, once it reaches a certain size, will likely want its own validator set. And I think that's a different conversation. Uh, but in shared security on the Cosmos hub, the Cosmos hub validators will validate your chain for you. And the way that this would work as a developer is you build your chain using all of the same uh, toolkit that you would use to build a standard Cosmos chain. And then you would put up a governance proposal in the Cosmos hub and say, hey, Cosmos hub validators, do you guys want to run our chain too? And if the hub validators accept that, they start running that software or else they get slashed by consensus. Um, And that chain is now live, trusting the hub validator set for their security. And in this case, they would be earning some sort of um, you know, uh, validation rewards, um, from that new chain. Um, exactly. You know, yeah. And how does, um, so there would be the cause, so to visualize it, there'd be the cosmos hub, all these different chains that make proposals. What's the limitation in terms of the number of chains that can make proposals? Is there like an upper bound or do you end up spinning different hubs for different type of use cases? There's the DeFi hub, there's a gaming hub. Um, I'm curious how this uh, kind of scales out. Yeah, I think this gets down to kind of a a difference in engineering cultures. In Cosmos, we really strongly believe in kind of ship and iterate, get a good V1 out there, get users, and then build on. So with that sort of framing, uh, the first version of shared security that we're shipping to the Cosmos hub is a V1. Every validator on the Cosmos hub validates each of the child chains. And for that, there's probably a practical upper limit of around 10 to 20 chains that can be validated in that way. A V2 of shared security takes only a portion of the validators and a portion of the stake on the Cosmos hub and provides security uh, 
for the child chains. And that's a much more scalable architecture. Now, I will note that v2 version of interchain security as a child chain, you could rent security from, say, the Cosmos Hub and Osmosis and like maybe DYDX chain. And in that way, each of the chains sort of create this interlocking web of security with each other. Mm -hmm. um, that's a different system. But the first system, like 10 to 20 chains is kind of the upper bound. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get too ahead, but I just one topic that I want to Please. get more understanding. And this is more for our listeners, right? I, I think like the, the follow-up question to that is, well, talk to us about renting and how expensive that is. And, you know, if you're, you talk about this transition of a chain, you know, at some point we'll want to have its own validator set, but in the shared model initially, like how expensive it is for them, you know, and what kind of, what's their calculus when they're making the consideration of deploying and going to Cosmos versus perhaps another ecosystem. Like I'm sure the renting cost is something that they think about and, uh, but I'm curious to get your perspective. As a ecosystem, right? When you are when you're sort of breathing one of like wh whether you're breathing like a, a DAO on top of Ethereum into life, or like one of these DAOs as chains that we have in Cosmos um, into life, it's basically comes down to like how you're going to allocate tokens over the life cycle of the pro, of, you know, the life cycle of the project as um, as it. And you know what we've seen a lot in Cosmos is quite like substantial, like. And like generally in proof of stake is like a lot of like very large validator incentives um, uh, up front to like come over, join our chain, be part of it. Like just in terms of like total token supply and initial issuance, initial liquidity, like like very large uh, uh, allocations. You know, it's like Evmos, Osmosis, all of these things are just like printing like massive staking and delegation and validator rewards, right? Um, one of the things that I think that is like a consequence of interchain security is you're going to start seeing a lot more, a lot of different experiments now in token allocation and how you spend your, your token budget on things. So it's like Neutron when it launches, Neutron is like uh, one of the early uh, interchain secured uh, chains. It's a general purpose smart contract environment um, by one of the teams that is a core contributor to Lido as well, the P2P validator team. Um, they keep coming up because um, they are the best. Um, but they're building a permissionless smart contract chain. Um, they are they can be a lot more deliberative about how they allocate the neutron token because they don't have to spin up a validator set from nothing. They have to send some amount of neutrons to sort of cover the incremental costs of you know spinning up new nodes and stuff like that. But there are, people who are running the validators are you know their bills are being paid by the the atom token and the cosmos hub largely. And now you're just sort of starting to share costs among these two DAOs. Uh, so it allows you to have chains that spin up that don't have a native token that send their transaction fees uh, uh, to the Cosmos Hub. Um, we're gonna have we're you know a, a key part of like the sort of Atom 2.0 thesis is we're gonna do a bunch of stuff around MEB uh, in this environment. Um, there's like a lot to go here, um, and so I do think the character of Cosmos chains and the feel of Cosmos chains and the economics of Cosmos chains are really set set up for a revolution in 2023. And I think, you know, one of the things that Zaki and I have been working on for the last couple of years is Sommelier. And I think that's a great example of that. Sommelier has zero inflation. And we're asking validators and early token holders to take a little bit of a risk on the project with the anticipation of real returns from the managed DeFi products providing the gains. And I think that this is one of the huge benefits to running your own chain 
is to have all these different experiments with how to incentivize the various parties within the network. And one of the ones that Zachy talked about with the consumer chain is where there is no token on the chain and it just brings the transaction fees. That's a really cool model. Uh, you know, I'm working on that project. It'll be fun. I can't wait to announce it. <laughs> Jack, talk about the different advantages. Like we just, Santi asked a really good question about the secure, the shared security. I called folks like Cosmos folks before this kind of doing a little prep for the episode. One person says shared security is the most important thing. The other person says uh, like communication, interoperability is the most important thing. The third person says, uh, if you don't have your own blockchain as an app, you're going to leak value from the economic transactions of the DAP users. Why would anyone want that? Wouldn't you want to capture the value? Three different answers, three different people. So in your guys' minds, what like what is the core reason, the core thesis behind moving on to your own app chain? Is it the security, the communication, the not leaking value? Saki, do you want to take this The answer first? is different for every project, and that is the glorious thing. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> the, yeah. the, 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 Okay, so the, the core of the app chain thesis to me is actually full stack optimization. Um, I think one of the things that, um, I think one of the reasons why Cosmos, I, like if I had to guess like one macro reason why Cosmos is sort of on the top of everyone's minds is su suddenly we talked about, you know, this project that, you know, is an overnight success after, you know, having been worked on for eight years. Um is uh is basically like I guess our thesis and like our thesis is kind of played out, which is we were like it's gonna people are like don't know what apps they're building. We don't know how to build anything in DeFi. We don't know like all these things are just like concepts. We don't know what's gonna work, what's not gonna work. Um, it's so it was it's and honestly like one deficiency of Cosmos is the iteration cycles are much longer than like shipping smart contracts on top of Ethereum on top of rollups all this stuff like. You know the the you know the life cycle of a build out is 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 typically you know six to nine months is like kind of a typical like MVP build out on top of on top of the Cosmos stack. We could do a lot to make that shorter, but that is a big part of life. Um, and so people have to kind of decide what they want, right? So like DYDX rewrote the, this is their fourth rewrite of the app, um, uh, and it's you know they've learned a lot from their user base about like what actually matters, what do they actually want? And so this like deeper build out, this build, this like more complex, less ship and iterate build out that they've been yielding in Cosmos, they have like a lot of actual, like this is what our users want, this is what market makers want kind of information. Um, and so one of the reasons why we think, I think that Cosmos is because of the last like three, two, three years of building out in DeFi, people now have a much better idea of what would work, what would not work, what is worth the slightly higher like engineering costs, but the ability to do full stack optimization, um, to like fully optimize bottom top to bottom the system to do the app. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, Saki, where I, I felt that Osmosis really put um, Cosmos back in the map. I mean, IBC took a while to ship which I was yep. kind of waiting for and really excited because the common kind of criticisms that I keep hearing about is like, it's a very interesting design, very modular. Like I agree with everything you said, but I just don't know if value is going to accrue to atoms. And and you're taking a bet on that being the primary hub. And to me, it's like I was waiting in IBC and I was going to the conferences and, you know, nonetheless, we fast forwarded now. So you have like Osmosis really, I think, put Cosmos back in the map. It's like, okay, wow. Like they've really taken a lot of designs from DeFi and Ethereum and made a lot of optimizations to that. And then you're seeing now DYDX migrate over. I'm curious if you guys can comment on 
what like you guys are so deep in it like what is going through the mind of the team at DYDX and and do you anticipate kind of other projects moving over and deploying their own chain after seeing what DYDX uh you know is is doing uh i i i'm excited about this like i i will say a couple of things one is so um like I, I can walk you through the thought process of DYDX um, because I kind of went along with a, a bit a bit yeah. of the journey yeah. with them, which is, you know, they built start they built on top of StarkX, right? Um, so StarkX is this product by StarkX. You mean the team built it for them because they didn't really? Have yeah, StarkWare built StarkX really for them, build, them. Like, and then they built a lot. They built the order book. They built the matching engine. They built like the collateral system, like all kinds of stuff. Like it's not like they built nothing. I, but like there is this like core settlement engine. Like essentially, you, you could think of it almost having the same sort of function as like what IBC does in Cosmos, right? It was basically a bridge between what was going on in their application and what was going on, what needed to be settled onto the Ethereum chain. Like, and Starkware built this for them, um, you know, and they were very happy. Like they do like a billion dollars of volume every day. Like it's crazy. Um, like it's an amazing product. It's like. You know, the most product market fit that we've seen in anything in DeFi compared to centralized exchange trading, DYDX. It's, it's an absolutely state-of-the-art product. But as this like over-compliance and the, as the sort of compliance with the sanctions regime has kind of this thing that like, you know, credit to the DYDX founders for seeing this months in advance, like maybe even more than a year in advance, they were like, well, we have this problem, which is we're functionally, we're running a centralized order book. Right, we're running a centralized order book. We have to like we are in a, a tenuous regulatory position that you know we are not censorship resistant. You know, if we want to be the liquidity engine of the world, we are not censorship resistant. Um, you know, Ethereum is censorship resistant. We are not because we have to run this. We run the, the set of servers that match everyone's orders, etc. So then they like kind of and like how to decentralize apps that have this architecture has been like an honest struggle for Starkware. Like I talk to uh, Ellie and Yuri like all the time. Um, all the rollups are also struggling with like, how do you decentralize their sequencers? And you kind of come to this question of, well, if you wanted to keep StarkX, but also have a decentralized sequencer, you kind of have to bolt StarkX and Tendermint together. And that's like a research project, like how to do that, like what the best way to do that is. And, you know, it's like Starkware has some blog posts about like wanting to do this, but it's like at least two years out. It's like not anytime soon. So then DYDX, but like DYDX wanted to go faster and they were like, what can we do? So then they were like, well, okay. So they're saying use Tendermint. Okay. Like what would we do with Tendermint? Um, and then they started, they like sort of rediscovered a design for a DEX that like Sunny and I had like been like working on like back in 2018, this idea of this like in-memory multi-chain order book uh, or multi-validator order book where the where the where the decks, unlike Serum or other like uh CWOB style DEXs that we're familiar with, rather than having the decks on chain, you have the decks in the validators like server itself, um, or you have the order book there, and then you only settle on chain. Um, you can provide an experience that basically looks with like a lot of engineering effort, you can build an experience that looks like FTX, basically, um, uh, on top of an architecture like this. It's going to be amazing. Um, uh, but it's also decentralized and censorship resistance. So, like, I'm, like, real excited about, like, what DYDX is building. Um, and it's going to interoperate with IBC. Um, you're going to have 
Uh, but then you also have the stuff like right now you have, you can, you know, their token potential, you know, can be debated, but like has a value accrual problem. Like now the token becomes a staking token. Uh, you get MEV accrual to the, to the state, to the, like, to the validators and the, the people who stake with them from liquidations on the chain. Like, you know, now you, you are operating in this like full stack economic zone where you actually can integrate the token, integrate censorship resistance, like really build something amazing. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, like, I mean, kudos to the DYDX team for both like figuring this out, finding themselves. No one sold Tendermint to them. There's no like Tendermint sales force that like marched into their office and was like, hey, like you should no, use Well, Tendermint. I would go ahead and say that Zaki is the Tendermint sales force. <laughs> <laughs> They'd already decided. Guys, they were already spun up on Tendermint before I was ever. It's like the best salesman is the one that tells you he's not a salesman and then you're like, it just convinces you by just yeah. walking your guard, right? Yeah, walk back. Um, nice but, uh, Zaki, if Yeah, um, they were pretty far. Let me just finish. This one yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. it was like, yeah, they were pretty far down the Tendermint road by the time I got there. Um, but they've been very collaborative with the entire Cosmos community. Um, and it's been a real pleasure working with them. This might, I'm not even entirely sure this question makes sense. But if I'm thinking about this in the right way, once a, an app reaches product market fit and like really takes off, are they like, are they disincentivized in a way to contribute back to the security of the hub or the security of the protocol? Um, like if you're overcharging. Yeah, that's like Apple. a really interesting, I mean, I, do you have any thoughts on this, Jack, before I spout off? I mean, I think the public goods, public goods funding problem is, is serious in this industry. And like, we see that in Ethereum quite a bit. Um, you know, Zucky and I have been pretty deeply engaged in trying to figure out how to get a lot of these new chains that are spinning up to contribute back to the core software. I think we've got some exciting stuff to announce at uh, Cosmoverse, but yeah. Um, I would also say that, so we have, a you know, on one hand, we are sort of building interchain security in such a way that like exiting the system and entering the system is actually going to be pretty easy. Like you can have a sovereign chain and like decide you want to move to shared to the shared security model. We're going to have like a relatively well-tested upgrade path for that. And we're also going to have a relatively well-tested path for, hey, like this isn't working out. We would like to just like, we would like to part ways. Let us, uh, uh, now there are downsides to making leaving so easy. Um, it definitely is going to put sort of pricing pressure on the system, but like it also should make it easy, a stronger incentive to join. Um, so I think a lot about that. I'm not going to really do, we're not going to do it any different way uh, at the end of the day. We're, we're not going to produce an artificial barrier just to keep people in the system. And hopefully the shared security adds enough value that people want to stay. And just for listeners to, to kind of conceptualize this would be like, for instance, you have a very successful DeFi project comes and says, hey, I want the shared security from the Cosmos hub. It initially, you know, it, uh, it benefits from the validator set. It just focuses on building the app. Uh, you know, fast forward a year, they're getting a ton of traction and they might want to just spin out, build their own and, and convince validators that have been part of the Cosmos hub to say, Hey, come just to my chain and, and just call it a day. Like, um, if I'm interpreting what you're saying, like that is certainly feasible and possible. And I'm curious if there have been attempts to do this and if there've been projects that have done this already. Projects that have switched back and forth between shared security already, or just like yeah, exactly, just exited the Cosmos Hub and 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 just launched their own chain. 
Sure. So right now the Cosmos Hub, it's not live. Like we, we don't have it. So every Cosmos chain right now runs their own validator set. Okay. So a lot of this stuff around like multi-layered security and, mm-hmm. you know, roll-ups and like kind of theoretical at this point. Well, there's a test um, net running. <clears throat> there's a test net running. It goes live on the hub. We have this like whole portfolio of, so Neutron is the publicly announced one. And then we have a bunch of things that happen. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. We we actually have like a decentralized biz dev team with like 15 different entities sitting in a telegram chat. And like, we like figure this stuff out. And like when people want to join the Cosmos hub now, like you have to like sign like at least four NDAs with different entities uh, just to mm-hmm. like, make any progress. Yeah. But people do it. It's wild. Yeah. I, guess, I think I guess that that's... Yeah, go ahead, that, that's kind of an interesting sideline on Cosmos is, uh, you know, I see a lot of complaints about low voter participation in DAOs on Ethereum. And the way we built Cosmos governance, each chain is effectively a DAO. And there's been a lot of work on making effective DAOs in Cosmos. And like when Zaki's talking about a decentralized biz dev or like, that's our biz dev DAO for Cosmos. <laughs> and, you know, we've got a lot of really great DAO tooling around governance. And, you know, we've used these things fairly extensively. Like an average Cosmos Hub governance proposal at this point gets 60 to 70,000 votes. And that's just orders of magnitude more voter participation than you see in a lot of ETH-based DAOs. All right, everyone, time for a quick word from Circle and USDC. As a crypto user, you know the power of stable coins, dollar digital currencies that transcend borders, banking hours, and legacy financial rails. Well, Circle's USDC has quickly become one of the most trusted and widely used stable coins. It's simple. People use USDC because of its composability, its stability, and its reserve transparency. And USDC isn't just adopted by a few of us DeFi DGENs and DAOs and NFT marketplaces, crypto companies alike, they all leverage USDC to diversify their treasury, asset management, and ecosystem-wide composability. The adoption's clear. USDC's grown to more than $50 billion in circulation since launching in 2018. We all have and we all will continue to take shots on our favorite volatile crypto assets, obviously, but USDC is one of the easiest ways to store your funds in a stable asset that can be used to send value around the world almost instantly. It lowers the cost of cross-border payments. It integrates into the growing ecosystem of crypto apps. As a seamless, trusted dollar digital currency, USDC is a zero to one opportunity for the financial system. If you want to learn more about USDC, I would recommend you check out their recently published Transparency Hub on circle.com. It's a great update to Circle's content on USDC. It outlines everything from links to their weekly reserve reports, monthly attestations, blog posts that are written by their exec team that highlight how and why USDC was built the way it is. Really recommend it. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to access it. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I, I guess um, where I was going with this is, uh, you know, the, the hub and spoke model is now looking more like or will probably look more like point to point, like mesh security yeah. kind of architecture where you have, you know, maybe an Oracle interacting with a DeFi, like a, a perps protocol and that they could like they're very active zones. They could have a lot of shared security and they have a vested interest in both of them. And so, like, look, it's like trade routes historically, like if you have a trade route between you know, country A and country B, then that builds relationship and you don't have wars. <laughs> uh, when someone breaks a tra- the trade route, you get wars. Um, and so like the Suez Canal and stuff like this. Um, so my question really is, 
where I've struggled with this is we don't like to like make speculation or make any financial advice here, but the criticism and concern that a lot of people over the years have had is talk to me about value accrual. And it does, by the way, this just does not apply to Cosmos, Atom as the center, like security substrate or whatever. This applies to like, is this more of a philosophical question on value accrual? And Jack, you kind of alluded to this as like public goods, like what accrues value in this transition? Um, I'm, I'm curious, like how you guys think about all of that um, value accrual. And it's a very broad and open question, but nonetheless. Apps accrue value. Um, and, you know, the Cosmos Hub as an application was never theorized to accrue value. And, you know, Adam 2.0, I, I've been reading quite a bit more. We've been in these working groups the last few months and, and Zucky's been leading a lot of that. And uh, been, especially over the last couple of days in preparation for Cosmoverse, reading up a, a lot on that. Uh, we've got some really exciting things coming for Adam, the application. Um, but yeah, what accrues value in this world in which we've built a bunch of sort of open source code that helps underlie all of these things? Well, it's the applications and the networks of people and validators that, that end up accruing the value. And that's kind of where it should be in a lot of ways. So a couple of comments. Like one of the best memes I think in Cosmos is that like Cosmos is coming to kill your fat protocol thesis. Like if you've got your you got your fat protocol thesis, we 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 like you know, you know, uh, 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 steel manned the building of the thing that murders your 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 fat protocol thesis. So that's like first the first uh, the first sort of cosmos like meme about like value accrual. I think the second thing is absolutely true, which is. In the long run, assuming blockchains are actually good computing platforms that like lots of people use, the application layer is the layer that like has the clearest, is the stickiest, is the place where the application layer where accrues value. Like, and like I imagine that like what I'm expecting of the world is like the top 20 tokens will just be like different sports teams. Like, sure, you'll have a sports team, and we'll all cheer when some big application comes to our sports teams, like little neck of the woods but like at the end of the day the sports teams will just be like we make a product people go on tv they buy nachos like this is where the value accrual is it's like great that you have you know that this is a, so that's the third thing and then the third thing is like one of the things that we did for a whole variety of reasons was essentially we were like if you look at the original cosmos white paper it talks extensively about the Cosmos network, how we think it's all going to work, how IBC is going to work, all that stuff. It doesn't say anything about, like it barely, it just basically says there will be this Atom token and you can stake it, like, yay. Um, and like really doesn't really have a story about like what this token is for. Um, and I think you'll see, and like this is this is, this is is my, you know, I continue to ha be dropping hits until uh, 12 days from now and we, we go on stage and we, we, we kind of like let the open the kimono over this thing that we've been working on for months. Um, but the other thing that is true is, so like the other thing is like, I don't know, I've hated the polka dot mechanism, the like parachain auction mechanism. I was mm -hmm. like, if you have a thing that is actually scalable, there's no scarcity. Um, and it's hugely adversely selecting to be like airdrop 30% of your tokens to like the, to the dot holders to like get a slot for two years. Like it's, that's a, just like a value accrual. It's like an adverse selection nightmare. Like you want to build the best, bring the best protocols. So like, how do we build a value accrual mechanism for Adam that doesn't have adverse selection that like take that, like 
understands that the biggest value accruers in tender in the Cosmos ecosystem are going to be the applications. And Atom is not going to be itself a DeFi application platform uh, in like the truest sense of the word. It's not going to be like a DYDX. Um, but like, how do we still align value accrual in Cosmos? And like things that we only dreamed about in 2016 are now very real. Uh, things like we saw Olympus Dow happen. We saw uh, uh, we saw like MEV is a real thing that like we actually know what it would how it, how the MEV market will behave. Like there's a lot of stuff. So like the three legs of the school are like look at things like Olympus Dow, look at things like Liquid Lido, look at things like uh, 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 Flashbots. These are all really exciting things. From this from these pieces, we construct our Atom two point yeah, but to be to be fair though, um, and I, and I get that. I think my understanding is Adam serves as like when you're slashing, like there needs to be like there's this security substrate, like there's value at stake, and you can get slashed, and you know you're staking your atoms, and and that secures the chain, right? And so, you know, if you're initially if you're some of the if you have a zone, like you're a project, like you have like atoms become like this kind of glue that most people should align towards, at least initially, um, to support because, you know, you benefit from, I guess, incremental projects coming into and making the hub like just more kind of uh, more thriving, if you will. And so there should be some alignment in like atoms as, you know, that like valuable security currency. Uh, I don't know if you kind of agree with that. I think in Adam 2.0, yes, that's definitely the case. And we've worked hard to like make that narrative true. I think that the biggest criticism of Cos Cosmos, the hub over the last couple of years has been, we built a lot of open source software that anyone can come in and use. There's no guarantee that they're going to use Atoms for anything. And the, the fact is they have ended up using Atoms for a bunch of things. They've repeatedly airdropped the Atom token distribution. They built DeFi protocols, things like IST, that rely on atoms. Atoms have become the de facto fiat on-ramp and off-ramp throughout the interchain. <clears throat> and there's a bunch of other sort of network effects that Atom has had, but none of that is guaranteed at a software level. And once we have interchain security and there's projects launching underneath it, yes, for those projects specifically, that's the sort of Atom economic zone. Like we're gonna see a lot of value accrual there to Atom. But right now, with the 50 chains out there, there's no guarantees for Atom holders. We built a lot of public goods infrastructure to like get to this point. Bootstrapping a network of blockchains is a very, very hard problem. And like I remember when I started talking with Zaki, I was like, okay, so wait, we're going to launch one blockchain, and then we got to build an application framework to build a bunch of blockchains, and then we got to build the network thing to get them together. We need to make sure there's a critical mass. I was like, he's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, okay. All right. Well, we got a lot of work to do. Better get started. <laughs> Saki, I have a question. You were kind of hinting at this presentation that you're giving uh, around like Adam 2.0 and September. It's not just me. I just like want to be very clear. There have been a lot of, of course. Adam 2.0. There are a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, yeah. Uh, I will be like this is this is the this is the opening act of of Cosmoverse, which is this big Cosmos conference that's in Medellin uh, two weeks before DevCon. Can you hint at like any new inflation schedule, EIP 1559 yep. like mechanism? 100%. No, no, we're yeah. going to make EIP 15519 look like a joke. Boom. Like All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're basically any... doing like we're doing we're doing a version of enshrined we're, it, like 
it's there's a version of enshrined proposer builder separation in there. There's a version. There's a new inflation schedule. Um, we are not just going to be exponentially inflating everyone until the you know sun burns out um, because we know how we know how to design proof of stake systems that no longer require that. Um, yeah. And um, we are going to be yeah. And like we 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 think we figured out an alternative to like something like parachain auctions for like aligning with the new tokens that are appearing in the ecosystem. Um, hmm. so that like when people are actually, so like we, we think we can, we have an even stronger alignment mechanism design than like the airdrop mechanism, which sort of works, but it's like kind of this, like I, I do have my criticisms of the airdrop mechanism, which is basically you're like throwing a lot of marketing at your product right when it is most immature, um, which is like kind of makes no sense. Um, yeah. uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of, um, yeah. So, you know, I, I do think that this is. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm so excited about it, but like, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a tricky thing to like talk about in such like weird terms. And like, I'm just like, I'm really looking forward to just like, we're all going to, we're going to like talk about it. I think we're going to start out with talking about the inflation schedule and that stuff. And then like my section is the talk is really going to be like deep, deep in the weeds on the value accrual mechanisms. Um, I want to talk about uh, just, well, I was going to ask you what you guys were spending most of your time on, but I think you've touched that on various kind of questions. Um, I'm curious, like, you know, I don't want to spend too much time in Ethereum, but I do want to revisit one topic that you mentioned earlier, which is you see coexistence. And I think that is refreshing take. I think a lot of times most people think about maximalism and, uh, you know, uh, Ethereum killers and whatnot. Uh, I think the Cosmos vibe generally has not been that historically, and I don't think it is today. But I'm curious, like, what do you see Ethereum moving to prove a stake as early as tomorrow with the merge happening and how does that impact cosmos on the margin um really interested in hearing your thoughts around that and and how you see kind of the state of um of cosmos interacting with ethereum over the next kind of 12 or uh, year or two i think that it makes it actually a lot easier to interact with ethereum from a interoperability perspective uh when it's proof of work you've got uh a lot of issues with building bridges. And this is one of the huge reasons why the bridge issue has been so huge over the last few years. Proof of stake offers hope of a better environment for that. Um, I we'd also think that- at- We briefly talked about that there is a really cool post on ETH research about sort of a path yeah. to like IBC natively to Ethereum, um, you know, we, I, we, I, I've been waiting for this day, for the merge day, for since 2015. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I'm so excited. Like, I mean, Zaki, Zaki, and I went and built the Gravity Bridge, which is a piece of technology to allow trustless bridging between EVMs and, well, not trustless. I mean, standard proof of stake trust assumption bridges between um, ETH and Cosmos. Uh, so, you know, and especially as the ETH narrative starts to shift towards ETH being a settlement layer for a bunch of rollups, um, that is basically the same multi-chain narrative we've been pushing for many, many years. So, you know, we're excited for ETH to come join us in proof of stake land. We're excited for more and more chains and more and more protocols to be out there. And I think, Santi, you asked, like, what we're spending most of our time on these days, what I spend a lot of my time doing is working on re-enabling composability between different Cosmos chains. And, uh, you know, asynchronous composability looks a lot 
different than synchronous composability. And there's a lot more developer tooling required for that. And that's basically what my company, Strange Love, spends most of our Sounds time Sounds oxymoronic, on. but can you talk a little bit more about asynchronous composability? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, asynchronous composability is what the internet is. It's HTTP requests. If you've ever been a JavaScript developer and you've sent an Ajax request, you get a promise back. And then once that promise resolves, you get the underlying object below it. And there's some additional latency there in the programming languages and programming paradigms that you use need to be able to express that. Um, when you're in the smart contracting environment in Ethereum, you can say, I need to know how many tokens are in this Aave pool. And in response to that, I might take some action. And that is, you can know that there's an amount of tokens in that pool at a given time, and then you can go ahead and take that action. When you add latency in queries, it accurately models the real world in a lot of ways. It takes time to pull this data, but what it it doesn't paper over those issues, but it does expose those directly to programmers in a way that makes it harder. You can still build highly composed DeFi systems in, you know, if you've got two chains with extremely low latency, um, the IBC connection between those chains will also be extremely low latency. So you can do it in a very low latency way, but it's not in a zero latency way. Yeah, yeah. And you get fewer guarantees. So Could you have um, like uh, asynchronous flash loans. Oh, Zucky, do you want to talk about Cinderella loans? But <laughs> by the way, just okay, go ahead, Zucky, because I have so, I have fun starting okay, off. That so project. I mean, there, like there 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 are there's like two massive projects, like R and D projects in the Cosmos ecosystem to try and get us flash loans, which you know again can show like how Cosmos can be difficult. Is frankly like the honest answer to this question, um, but like so. Um, the team at Anoma, which is sort of a, 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 an offshoot of the Cosmos ecosystem, has this thing called Typhon, which is actually redoing Tendermint consensus so that, the, so that you can have a validator set that votes on blocks from multiple chains at the same time. So you can actually have, you can be like, I need to do synchronous composability with this other chain. We're going to get the validator sets to vote on the blocks together so that you get this like fused block. It's insanely ambitious. Um, I have this other thing that I propose that I have like a little, you know, like a little JPEG of the text written up that like is floating around called Cinderella tokens, um, which is basically a way of like overlapping, like sort of where like basically you can you can like daisy chain a bunch of economic interactions asynchronously over multiple chains and then like atomically settle them all simultaneously. Um, it, 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 it's a wild idea. It, it brings to mind carriage rides and turning in things into pumpkins. Um, but, uh, uh, and I'm not sure which one of them is actually going to be the, um, like Typhon is also like a really cool, uh, really, really cool primitive. Um, and like, yeah. a third way this might happen is uh, you have a lending protocol that controls assets on many different chains. And in response to liquidation demand can move the, the collateral that would be behind the flash loans to the individual chains. And then the chain developers can use that mm -hmm. synchronous environment on that individual chain to do the liquidations. There's right. a bunch of different, like Mars protocol is a good example of a, of a protocol that's, that's looking to do things like that. But yeah, yeah it's, it, it, I think that this particular problem shows the differences in developing in a synchronous environment versus developing in an asynchronous environment. Yeah, I remember like talking. Uh, <clears throat> this was a big topic in in the last DevCon we had in in Osaka. Everyone was talking about composability and it breaking, and like there was someone that I forget who that says exactly what you said, Jack, which is like the internet. Like 
evolved in a similar manner. Like it's just a latency issue. And, you know, we talk a lot about like synchronous and that's cool and great, but that's not to say that like this idea of composability breaking is a little bit, I think, overblown. And, and I think in, in ways it just in, in, increase the, like the thread and the, there's a critical latency that you can have and tolerate in certain applications and not all of them need to be like, like that. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. but you Another, know, I'm really dumb and I'm not a developer. So yeah. <laughs> Another intuition, right. Is that every Ethereum transaction comes with this, like, I'm going to take out what we call in programming a mutex on the entire world. I'm going to take out a lock. I'm going to freeze the entire world and do a bunch of stuff and then unfreeze the world. And that's where you get synchronous composability from. But this like freeze the world primitive can actually be written into the virtual machines of chains. So you can be like, I would like to freeze this, the world or this part of the world, and then only unfreeze that part of the world when something else happens, right? We have to build like essentially programming languages to express these concepts, but there's no reason why we can't. Yeah, I mean, I mean Java. The beauty of all this is pro programmable Sorry. money, and I think you. Yeah. Sir, I mean, I think like it. Fair enough. A lot of people hate flash loans because they're just like allow for these exploits to happen. It's not that flash loans are bad, but I think Basaki, what you're saying is maybe you have some sort of guardrails and conditions that could actually be positive to protect at some point, like what you could i guess like it's hard to like say what is an adversary like like a malicious flash loan if you will but if certain conditions are met like like if the oracle price jumps like crazy then well maybe you shouldn't allow that synchronous you know flat like flash loan maybe you should like stop it and so that's not bad in my mind i mean it, is, it has been cool this is the the one thing that has been cool has been watching cosmos chains validator i mean like there's this like interesting like liveness threshold too which is like Ethereum really has, even in V2, really prioritizes liveness. It's very hard, you know, the chain doesn't halt. Um, the Cosmos network thinks of liveness over the course of the, over the entire network as probably the thing to prioritize. And if, you know, a chain, an individual chain halts, but this is also kind of expressed in the Ethereum world where like roll-up chains can halt without the Ethereum based chain halting. Uh, so we all end up at the same thing, but like a lot of Cosmos chains have defended themselves against software bugs and stuff like that by halting and like, you know, fixing the bug without letting attackers walk away with hundreds of millions of dollars. What are you, I mean, maybe transitioning more to like, you guys have been around the space for such a long time. We can keep talking about Cosmos, which I, I want this to be like a, a go-to for people that want to learn about, generally want to learn about Cosmos and all the excitement that's um, happening under the hood. But I'm also really curious to get your perspective on observing this space for so long. Kind of what are the things that if you weren't focused on what you're doing today, what else would you be doing if you had total freedom of choice of saying you can't do what you're doing now? What else would you be focused on and trying to fix in the space or and or build? Either the interoperability thing, which is what I'm already working on. So I guess that's kind of cheating. Um, and I guess if I can't pick interoperability, I would probably pick like individual chain scaling. Like there's really cool stuff going on over at Solana. I remember talking to Anatoly and that team early when they were building. And I was like, this is really cool. When I worked in Web2 stuff, I worked in a database that did like a million inserts a second. So like all that database optimization stuff is super fun. Um, so I'd probably say like the, the database optimization slash consensus optimization piece of it is what I would pivot to if I had to. <laughs> um, 
I continue Saki's to like, be... like, I already do all of it. Saki's like <laughs> looking at the right. He's like, well, here's my whiteboard. Let me see. <laughs> There's 10 things here. <laughs> um, I mean, like, I, I do work on a lot of different stuff. Um, but, um, like, privacy continues to be, like, a huge problem that, like, we need to fi- needs to be sorted out. Like, all of the stuff that happens... Like, the things that excite me are basically privacy, MEV. I'm really excited. I, I do want to see the... I want to see the Ethereum roll-up execution layers become peers to the Cosmos SDK. That's like that's really a thing I like. I I like want in my heart. Like if I if I if I couldn't work on Cosmos, I couldn't work on the Cosmos SDK. I would probably be like like trying to turn. I would be at optimism trying to turn Bedrock into a Cosmos SDK, into like the next Cosmos SDK or at Fuel or at like any of the zk companies or like. Like I like all of those things like feel to me like doing Cosmos again, and uh, I still and I like I I I don't think that any of this vision will be really correct until like we have those things become peers to the Cosmos SDK because it's good for competition for the space and it's good good it's competition for Cosmos and that inevitably is good for the space or like what why is that Saki? Um, because I fundamental like I don't. Like even within the Cosmos SDK, we've tried to build this like very flexible thing. And we're just constantly having to make trade-offs, right? Like we can't mm-hmm. please every possible developer, um, you know, and I don't think that you can. So I just, I, I honestly, like, I think, like I said, I think the, the purpose of this space is to give, like, I'm, I'm, I'm an infrastructure builder. I'm like, I think Sommelier is probably the, the, the big, the most application-y thing that I've ever built. Um, in like the last like eight years, uh, and it's still very infrastructure. And like there are team like we there are decentralized teams really building the applications on top of Sommelier, which is like tends to be my pattern. But like I, so I'm an infrastructure builder, um, and like mm-hmm. what I want is the infrastructure for people to build like truly amazing applications to exist, um, so that like the space actually ends up being worth a damn. If IBC is actually successful, what it does is provides a common communication framework to allow these individual chain builders to optimize the shit out of that and for capital to flow to the most efficient, best run chains. And like the core goal here is programmable money, this like global computing substrate that anyone can permissionlessly come and use. And like, if that's our goal, like having as many experiments as possible, as many crazy different architectures, what Fuel is doing is fantastic. Um, and, you know, all of these different execution layers, like that's how we get to mass adoption, really. Yeah. I, I When I first learned about IBC, I was in like San Francisco Blockchain Week way, way back and all the Berkeley folks were there. And to me, that was like one of the more exciting things I've heard and has always been in the back of my mind. Like... I was just waiting and waiting and waiting for it. And then the whole kind of drama ensued and it was delayed. And you talk about like, if it works, like for us and listeners, like how will, like, what are the KPIs? What are the things that you're looking at to measure success of IBC? I think that, you know, we've seen huge amounts of volume travel across the system. And I think that was the first KPI that I wanted to see. And, you know, we mentioned Tara sort of obliquely on this podcast, but when Terra was connected to IBC, we were doing massive volume over those pipes, like tens of billions of dollars every month. And uh, that was really cool. The KPIs that I care about now are how many non-Cosmos ecosystems get hooked up. I'm working actively on a Polkadot integration. 
we're working on a couple of privacy chain integrations. Like we need to really spin that effort up. We talked about the E2 IBC integration. There's a lot of sort of like excitement and ferment about that right now. I expect that to pick up, but uh, the KPI that I care most about is like non-Cosmos chains doing IBC right now. And I think that that's how, like if we're actually creating HTTP for blockchains, which is like why I am in this, we need to support many different computing architectures. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah. That's great. How um, how easy is it for developers? Like, how easy was it for the DYDX team to come out over and kind of learn about, you, Zaki mentioned how far along they were in their journey when you approached them. But I'm curious, do you think that's representative um, of new developers coming to the space and, and want to build on, on the WASM and the Cosmos WASM? And, and is that like a fairly, is the tooling there? Is the developer experience there? And how does that compare to other ecosystems like Solana, Polkadot, Ethereum, uh, in terms of ease of onboarding of developers? The Waz the Cosm Wasm tooling for building on top of the sort of like Cosmos native VM thing is actually excellent. Um, I've been avoiding Rust and Zachy will laugh for a long time because I'm, I'm a gopher. But uh, I've been doing a lot of Rust smart contract stuff lately because we've been working with a bunch of those teams. And you can write your contracts, generate a front end right off of it based on that, have all of your chain bindings ready to go. Um, so that dev tooling has gotten a lot better. The Cosmos SDK dev tooling is actually also quite good in a lot of places. I think a huge problem, though, is people come into the ecosystem from all these different directions and like... Ignite, which is the old Tinderman company, built the best Cosmos SDK onboarding tooling. It's called Starport. Dennis now works for Strange Love, but uh, that that tooling is great. But there was a whole part of the ecosystem that was like much more in the infrastructure side, what Zachy and I work on, and we didn't have a whole lot of exposure to that. So like when we brought new chains, then we'd be like, oh yeah, here's this like we had this way we've been doing it. So the way that sort of dev tools proliferate throughout the ecosystem is not nearly as top down. And I think that that's been a huge problem for developer experience and discoverability, but there are excellent tools and um, we're doing a lot right now in terms of Cosmos SDK dev to make it easier to build. And like that's squarely where Cosmosm is focused. The work that I'm doing right now is to build a dev environment for IBC and this asynchronous composability stuff. And I think that's kind of the furthest behind, but we're also way out ahead of other ecosystems. Zachy, you mentioned um, MEV earlier. In blockchains, all roads lead to MEV. I'm just curious, like how, yes. how you guys plan to, how, how, you, how you plan to capture MEV? Like how do you plan to distribute rewards from MEV? I would just love to hear yeah. like, the MEV plan. Yeah, so... I mean, the first, okay, so like, again, we'll start out with the lore. Um, so Andrew Miller and his co-authors had this uh, consensus paper, which was the first consensus, academic consensus paper ever to cite Tenderman, which was very special to us, um, which actually talked about like building a consensus algorithm that had like what was essentially MEV mitigation in it. Uh, it was called Honey Badger back in the day. This is actually what Helium used. Helium uses on their blockchain. So there's not really any any MEV on their blockchain. So you know, it's kind of a little bit beside the point. And they're giving up on it because it, it is a bit of a pain. Um, but the other thing we did over the last year is um, so there's this thing. It's like again deep in the Cosmos Dev 
environment called ABCI. It's one of Jay's original ideas, which is separating the consensus out. So like the consensus algorithm, the application layer are separate. You can actually, you don't have to use the Cosmos SDK to build Cosmos chains. In fact, Anoma and Penumbra are two very prominent examples of chains that are not using the Cosmos SDK, but are using Tendermint and IBC. So you can pick and choose the parts of the stack. Um, and the fact that Anoma and Penumbra have done all this work have made it easy for other teams to like also you know use this. Because before there was only one example of implementing IBC, now there's more than one, um, which is cool. So in that, so the way they interact with Tendermint is this thing called ABCI. Um, and so we have this thing called ABCI++, um, which we've sketched out, which is, a, which is we've made every step of the Tendermint consensus algorithm programmable. So not just like we produce a block, you give it to the application, produce a block, you give it to the application, which is how his, currently ABCI works historically. So net, next Tendermint release has the first pieces of ABCI++ in it. Um, Tendermint 0.37. Um, and ABCI++ is like a playground for building different ways of mitigating MEV, uh, 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 mitigating MEV, uh, or like redirecting it. Like you can build all kinds of different things. So like just with the features of Tendermint 0.37, you can build enshrined proposer builder separation. Or uh, in features that are coming in Tendermint 0.38, you can build uh, an encrypted mempool. Um, you can build all like, so like what we are really trying to do is in this typical Cosmos way is sort of unleash the app chains to innovate on like all the different possible ways of managing MEV. Um, but also in Adam 2.0, we are doing this whole like basic thing that is like basically we want to broadly across the interchain secured environment, do a version of Intride PBS to sort of align mm -hmm. incentives correctly. All roads in blockchain lead, lead back to MEV. I feel like all roads in Cosmos lead back to your presentation in uh, or the, the, the Cosmos presentation in like 10 or 11 days. So uh, I'm excited about that. Zaki, one more question for you is, uh, is uh, or, or Jack, whoever wants to take this, is just like, does the best version of Cos the Cosmos thesis involve some proliferation of IBC on ETH? And I'm not sure if that's also a good pivot into sommelier and like what you guys are building, but whoever wants to take that. I would say that like, so... Basically, the gravity like we built this thing called the gravity bridge, um, which allows us to do IBC like things over uh, between Cosmos. And so we have Sommelier. Um, there's also a gravity bridge, which does token bridging. Um, the Canto blockchain, which may be more familiar to your Ethereum audience, um, is is a big user of that blockchain. There's also something called Axelar. Uh, there's also a bridge, bridging protocol called Axelar. But honestly, like none of these things are as great as speaking native IBC. Like if we could speak native IBC to Ethereum, it would be awesome. I would love to get rid of the our, our, our uh, um, I would I would love to get rid of the gravity bridge from the sommelier stack. Um, and but like we have most, you know, but like, you know, in in the spirit of pragmatism, we have built the kind of application with the with sommelier that you could build on top of Ethereum in a world where Ethereum natively supported IBC. Um, uh, uh, you, we have, and like, uh, which is basically where like you actually have, we have, we have some of the application logic lives on Ethereum, like the user facing pieces of Ethereum logic of application logic for interacting with sommeliers, DeFi apps lives on Ethereum. The, um, Governance, strategy, rebalance, 
uh, a lot of other layers, value accrual layers, incentive alignment layers all live on the Cosmos chain. And like this produces like we think like a really cool segmentation of concerns that allows you to take advantage of this like gas efficient alternate environment to do things that are hard to do on Ethereum, but giving people the benefit and the security of being on Ethereum mainnet for like custody of funds. Because like we don't bridge tokens on Simile. We just we like like trade execution is what we bridge. Yeah, I think that you know one way to think about this is the sort of like cross chain versus interchain thing. And like if you look at what SushiSwap did, they went and deployed the same contracts on a bunch of different chains. And that has the obvious downsides of like fragmenting liquidity, fragmenting control of the protocol, making things a lot more difficult to manage. And if you step back and look at it critically from an app architecture perspective, you'd like all of your management and control functions to live in one place and be controlled by a DAO or something. And then it would have these kind of storefronts on all of these different chains to allow it to take advantage of liquidity there. And that's exactly what we built with SOM. The Gravity Bridge manages contracts on these different chains where it allows these users to come up to the storefront and buy financial products, but all of the revenues for those uh, accrue back to the SOM validator set and back to the SOM token holders. And you know this is also the way Osmosis works. All of the liquidity for the DEX is on one chain and it has these storefronts on all of these other chains. And especially, you know, Osmosis is working with a feature, working on a feature right now where you'll be able to send tokens in via IBC. They will swap in a pool that you specify, and then it will send the tokens back out via IBC on any other channel. And then in that case, like Osmosis is really just this pool of liquidity and people are sending tokens in and then they're going back out to wherever they want to go. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the end state for all of these DEXs is the interface that they expose is this IBC interface. And then tokens are going to be moving between chains and swapping in flight. And, you know, that's what we built the, the yeah. infrastructure for. That's a great example of asynchronous composability. Yeah. Guys, this feels like a good place to start to think about wrapping this. There, I think there's so much more, Santi, and I could could talk about with you guys liquid staking and like uh jack i want to get really want to get your take on like general purpose zones and stuff but i think we should probably leave that for a for a cosmos episode round two i'm thinking maybe oh, after yeah. the presentation uh but is there anything else that like glaringly obvious questions that or topics that you guys want to talk about or questions that santi and i missed or uh you want to save it for for the next step the things that are most misunderstood about cosmos is like one of the ways in which we are like Ethereum is that we are this um, much more of like a developer collective than we are like a company, right? Like Jack and I happen to like share some companies um, uh, that like we have, we both, uh, we both created and stuff like that. But like there, this is part of the whole like fractal of relationships in Cosmos. Um, and, you know, the, People get, you know, like we onboard people into the ecosystem in all kinds of strange ways. We do have, we have um, join.builders, which is actually like a formal program now that the foundation runs um, uh, for, for getting into the cosmos. Um, but like, just like getting involved in like the debate on Twitter, uh, you know, hitting people up on Twitter. Um, there are all kinds of strange and wonderful characters in the cosmos ecosystem, Um you know, that, and like every validator is kind of running their own little influencer business, which is also just like a fun little <laughs> aspect of Cosmos. Um, 
so you know the, it, it is a little bit of a it, it is a little bit of an intimidating world you know and when when you know people when when funds everybody people hit me up they're like how do we get on board and i'm like there is no it's not like there's one company there's there's like all these companies all these different funds all these different things but it is a very free environment and i think to like kind of loop back like this is this was a thing that made a big difference for DYDX, which was when they looked at like could we build what we need on Arbitrum, on Optimism, on Starkware. They're like we're talking to a vendor. When they talk to Cosmos, they're like, here's a bunch of open source devs. How can we help? What do we want to? What, what can we do together? Um, you know, how can you influence our roadmap? We will prior, try to prioritize your needs. It's just like a very natural give and take that is the way we build Cosmos, and it's very different. Um, and so I think that's always the, the thing that is like, I, I want to keep reemphasizing to different audiences because it's, it's the thing that's like the most unlike all the other non-Ethereum mm -hmm. ones. Yeah. And I, I am like, I've heard this, um, for instance, yesterday, like Starbucks announced a collaboration with Polygon and you could argue that they don't have the best tech, but they hired this guy from YouTube, Ryan Watt, and he's been, I think very good in convincing enterprises yeah. and, and I think common criticisms I hear are enterprises are like have been seared into their mind that like Solana has downtime issues because of all the kind of issues that it's had Pro true, although unfair because they're like, this has happened to other chains as well, but it's just like very interesting. It's sort of like the VHS versus Betamax kind of conundrum, if you will, which is, and the question really is like, can really be successful as this really kind of collective that you talk about? Or do you wish at some point, and maybe this is like the initial kind of idea behind Tendermint that kind of disbanded for better or for worse, but I'm curious if you had to redesign it from, and you go back in time, would you have had perhaps more structure or like a marketing department or something to go to really just be the front and center of anyone like a particularly enterprises or like validators or whatever. And, or do you think that that really kind of doesn't really matter uh, in the long term? Man, this is like the existential crisis that I feel like every single day um, on uh, <laughs> is, is, you know, like, okay, I'm going to be very honest. Like, I don't like if you made me run the biz dev deal to like bring Starbucks onto a Cosmos chain, I think I would kill myself. Like, <laughs> I just like don't care. Like, like this is not an exciting use case of even anything. if you got free coffee for life. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was Zach, Zach, Zachy's Zachy's an Arab man. That though. would be like. That <laughs> I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> Blonde roast anyone? <laughs> yeah, like honestly, it's so like to me, I'm like kind of like, you know, I'm glad I sort of glad that these polygon people and their like army of, of, of South Asians can is like willing to like kind of do this like enterprise sales stuff. It's probably good for the space in the long run. Um, but I do like the weird I do. I do get more excited about weird DeFi shit than I do. Is it, about, isn't polygon like, built on Cosmos? On yeah, Tinder, it's like Tinder, man. 2019 <laughs> version of like the Cosmos. Yeah, SDK. yeah, they have a fork of a of a pre Cosmos Hub launch version of Tinder. I, I was I was waiting for Psyche to say that. I was like, when is he going to drop it? Yeah. <laughs> there was a, there was a, 
there was a uh, office park in Bangalore that like discovered the SDK in like 2018. Um, and they all went on to found a bunch of companies. Um, but Fitwit is the team that's been working mm-hmm. with the Polygon team for a long time. And they kind of were it's, the, the it's honestly just there. like hilarious that this like one office park, like somehow like got like Cosmos pilled. And it, like, it's just kind of spiraled out from there. And now like covers the entire south continent of with like various, like there's so many in, like Indian Cosmos teams and stuff like that. It's just- Persistence and Sentinel and uh, yeah, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Guys, this was a great conversation. Appreciate you guys. I'm marking it right now. We're going to do a round two after the presentation. This is a fantastic conversation. And uh, yeah, appreciate you guys coming on Empire. Yeah, gentlemen, thank you guys very much. Fire for, if I don't live up to the hype, you definitely do. You definitely do. You don't. No, uh, no, like the presentation. Like, if, if Adam 2.0 is not fire, like, you can just like bring me on and just like yell at me. You're saying we'll the, real, the real question people should be asking it's not is the merge priced in, it's is Adam 2.0 priced in? <laughs> it's yeah. not. It's not. None of this is legal, financial, or any other advice for that matter. And so now that I got that out of the way, I always say it. Um, where can people before we go and to condition people to prepare for the next episode where can people keep tabs on you what's happening in the ecosystem what are the best we'll link it to the show notes but like what's like the the top one two uh places where people can follow your work and see what you're up to on a constant basis the zaki twitter is a pretty good spot to follow cosmos as is my twitter i would say but i'm a bit biased on that like cosmos is very much i mean that's another thing it's like we 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 are very like i think that's like one of the reasons that is is different about cosmos is i don't know why this is but like cosmos to like founders of like different chains and all of them have like pretty good twitter clout like they're like pretty actively engaged they like and so like you know typically like when you go to a conference like you don't see like just me you see like two, three, four other Cosmos founders, they're on stage, they're like, whereas like, you know, you go to a near a conference and like, you just see Ilya from near and you're like, where are the other near people? Like, there must be, they, well, they clearly exist. Like they have their own conference in Lisbon right now, but like, they don't, they're not really like out there, like, you know, mixing it up in the, in the, in the internet. Yeah. I think what a lot of people would say is because we didn't have any marketing. That's why we've all had to build our own Twitter following. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, give me the marketing budget. All right, guys, this is a good place to wrap. Appreciate you guys coming on. This is awesome. And uh, see you guys for round two. Congrats on all the work, you guys. guys. Thank Talk you guys. To you soon.